0: It a real game changer for me. It was the starting point for things feeling and appearing much more positive and, and easy, easier than, than they had been. It felt tough up to that point.
1: This is Alopecia Life with your host, Deanne Graham. You'll hear interviews with specialists in their field and parents who are helping their child move through life while living with alopecia areata, along with conversations with alopecia rock stars who are making a difference. Alopecia Life is here to provide you with support, accurate information, inspiring stories, and life hacks to help you navigate the world of hair loss. Whether you've just been diagnosed or have had it for ages, Alopecia Life has been created to share all the information you may want or need to do alopecia your way.
2: Welcome to Alopecia Life. I'm your host, Deanne Graham. This is episode seven, and today's guest is Amy Johnson. She started out as a volunteer for Alopecia UK and soon became their communications and fundraising manager. I'm excited to have her here today and to share this interview with all of you. Amy Johnson from Alopecia UK. How are you doing today? I'm
0: very good, Deanne. How are you?
2: I'm well, thank you. And let's just go ahead and start talking about your personal alopecia story.
0: Yeah, that's fine. Um, so it first started in 2007 with the typical couple of ball patches, the kind of the coin size pieces, um, went to my doctor. Um, was a little bit concerned at the time thinking what on earth are these Um, at that point I'd never heard of alopecia um, Mm -hmm. and was given the diagnosis of alopecia areata and was reassured that those bald patches would grow back and they did Um, and then fast forward to three years later um, my hair started falling out again but this time it was very different Um, it wasn't really the typical uh, bald patches as I'd had in uh, the three years previous it was coming out and it was coming out fast. So I was losing hair um, really quite quickly. Um, And then over a period of five months, I went from a full head of hair to everything was gone.
2: That's kind of the nature of the beast, right? It's kind of the way it goes. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I mean, it was was a weird one because at, at the time of having the couple of patches in 2007, I hadn't really connected the two things as being alopecia areata was something that Could mean that I would lose all my hair. Kind of the the typical reaction you get from the doctor of of being quite reassuring and that your hair would grow back. And for lots of people with alopecia areata, that is the reality. And it does realize that potentially it could come again and it could be worse. And 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 yes, that's exactly what happened in in 2010. Um Mm -hmm. and yeah, that was a a shock.
2: Yeah, I can imagine. Actually, I, I know, actually, personally. So
0: it's not an imagination. <laughs> you, you've also uh, walked in those shoes.
2: Definitely. So, what happened next then in 2010?
0: 2010. Um, so, I was, everything was quite good at that point. Um, you know, I was in a, a job that I was enjoying, I was in a happy relationship, everything was good. And then suddenly, I'm in a position where I'm 27 years old and I've suddenly lost all my hair. So, let's just say I was a bit bewildered it was a really tough year looking back that year and um, I lost my hair in the um, I, well I, I did my initial head shave so at the point where it was I, I kind of say the, the point of no return it was mm-hmm. really kind of like straggly bits that were left I, I took the decision to do that first head shave um, with a view to that was me going to be kind of hopefully taking some control back Mm because that's one of the things I very much found it was you felt I felt completely out of control you know there's all this hair coming out every day it's on your pillow it's on your desk at work I I think it was it was just coming to terms with this enormous thing that had happened to me um and I found that really really hard so that year um I say the the initial head shave in the July that summer I just I, I didn't really want to do anything or see anyone but I continue to do so, but it was really hard to kind of maintain that normality when it felt like that was anything but normal.
2: Mm-hmm. And how did your support system kind of respond to what was going on with you?
0: So it was, I was, I, I consider myself really lucky in that everyone around me was super supportive of, of anything that I was wanting to do, any choices that I made. I mean, early on, I, I didn't go, I've not gone down the, the wigs route. Um, I think one of the reasons for that is, quite simply speaking, they were never offered to me. And I think sometimes if, if somebody doesn't mention that there's an, an option out there for you, you don't really know it exists. And I think, again, at the point of losing my hair, no, you don't know anything about wigs, do you, until you're kind of in a position to even be asking questions about them. And I'd very wrongly assumed that wigs were something that only very old ladies wore. So I didn't realize that there were some fantastic things out there that that potentially could be something that would help me in my journey. So Mm -hmm. early on, I was very much, I would wear headscarves a lot. And I would eventually, I think it was a couple of, well, probably about six weeks later, I decided to go out in public for the first time. And again, I was very lucky that, again, all my colleagues, my family, my friends, everyone around me was just super supportive of, you know, the choices that I was making, which was was brilliant. But one of the things I think I, f- I felt very early on was a need to reach out to others. And, and I know from mm. experience and obviously your own experience, you'll be able to relate to this. It felt very isolating. I very much felt as, as great as the support network I had around me was. And it was it was brilliant. And looking back, as I say, I was very lucky. I needed to know I wasn't on my own because one of the things I definitely felt was I felt very isolated and I felt I'm the only one. And obviously I know that, you know, now, Diane, I'm not the only one, but mm-hmm. right time in 2010, I thought I'm the only 27-year-old woman that's ever lost a hair. And obviously I know now it couldn't be further from the truth. So so that was that was something that I was keen to do very early on was to reach out and, and see who else was out there.
2: Mm-hmm. And and what did that look like really?
0: So at that point, I'd kind of done a little bit of kind of you know social social media. Then I don't think maybe it was, it was quite as busy and as active as it is today, but it was it was still there and it was it was still an option. So um, I, I remember um, I set up a, a Twitter account, which I thought was hilariously called Hairless Whisper, which is a take <laughs> on George Michael's song Careless Whisper. Um, and I, I used that um, kind of early doors to try and, and reach out and, and see if there was anyone about to kind of talk to. Um, and then I stumbled across um, a charity called Alopecia UK. And at that point, it was, well, we're still a small charity, but we'll get onto that later. But it was a very small charity, not huge amounts of things kind of happening. But I, there was, there'd been a photo, um, a, a photography exhibition uh, that the charity had had some involvement with and they'd arranged for a, an open day down in London, which was quite, that's quite a journey for me. I, I live up in the north of England. Uh, so to travel down to London, I decided to do it on my own. There was going to be like a bit of a, almost a, just a kind of a, a gathering for for those that wanted to be at the opening of the exhibition. And there was going to be lots of people with alopecia there. So I thought, perfect, that's an opportunity to meet others. Um, and I, I very firmly decided I wanted to do that on my own. I didn't take any family or friends with me. I, I felt this was part of something that I needed to do and, and, and strike out and do. And, um, yeah, went down and it was, for me... It was almost like a bit of a light bulb moment, that moment of just being in a room and I me mean, not being first of all, the only bald woman in there. And just knowing that other people, you know, they, they got it, basically, that's what it's all about, you know, being able to speak to people and um, just have that shared experience. I found that more than anything that any doctors had been able to say, because up to that point, you know, I tried some treatments, I'd been given kind of various opinions from various doctors, and it all very felt, Like you know, no one really had a clue. But then suddenly, I was in a room where I was speaking to other people who'd had that exact thing happen to them, and it was almost like there was—it was just this instant relief, you know, Mm -hmm. up to that point. And that—and that was a good. I'm just trying to think. I'm looking back as to from the head from the initial head shave to that point. That was about 18 months between that point. So it was 18 months of not having met anyone else, not being able to have that interaction. So, so yeah, it was a real it was a real game changer for me. It was the starting point for things feeling and appearing much more positive and and, and easy easier than than they had been. It felt tough up to that point.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like it, and I I know also how that feels. And you said you're in a really fantastic job. You had a great Great support system. And then when did Alopecia UK come in? Because you are working for them as an employee, right? You work for them.
0: My getting involved with Alopecia, it's, uh, Alopecia UK is it's kind of part of Alopecia UK's history now. So at the point of um, me getting involved with the charity, that would have been in 2012 then by that point. Um, I met a lady called Jennifer Chambers who Mm -hmm. is currently Alopecia UK's um, charity development manager and she just started to kind of she'd reached out to the then uh, current trustee board and was starting to get involved with going to meetings and at that point in time at that point of kind of the the charity's history there was a, a team involved that had kind of taken the charity as far as they could take it um i don't know if you know much about kind of what goes into running charities but there's there's a huge amount of work at that point it's entirely volunteer-led so there's no charity office there was no paid staff so everything that was getting done all the support work all the emails all the kind of the fundraising support anything that was involved with with having that charity all the website the forum that there was at that point it was all getting done on top of you know individuals who had families and full-time mm-hmm. jobs and all that so you could see how it would it you know it does take its toll and it was the it was the original founding members of the charity so that the history of the charity is that it was set up by um, a lady called Vicky and her family who at the time Vicky was at university lost her hair I think it was at the age of 19 and there was nothing there at that point. This was kind of in the early 2000s. So initially, it was set up as a website. So, you know, a point where anyone looking for information about alopecia could go to that website and find at least some basic information out. And then from there, it developed where there was a forum on that website. So again, those with alopecia could talk to each other. Um, so in 2012, Jen had just got involved. It got to a point where they needed some fresh ideas. They needed some new people to come in with some new energy. And I met Jen at that same event that I was talking about in London. And it was a case of she saw something in me. One of my passions, one of the things I was really keen to kind of bring to to something was I'm really firm on there needs to be more awareness. Um, I I was kind of really struggling within that first probably two, two year period, really, of you know being mistaken for somebody that was undergoing chemotherapy or they're just not being any awareness around alopecia at all when given the opportunity by Jen to well perhaps we could get a bit more involved perhaps you know we could see how we can help this charity and see what what can happen and how things can develop i kind of jumped at it and thought right yeah if it's it's one of those where sometimes to kind of make things happen you do kind of have to get you know a bit more involved and um, Mm -hmm. and that's something we found at the charity so that team that was there they were almost kind of I think they were needing some more people to come in so they could maybe step aside and and move on with you know into their lives at that point their lives were very different to what it that they had been started the thing so you know they had families and children and grandchildren and they were retiring and there was all sorts of, of, of big life changes so In the time that Jen and I have been involved, it's progressed a huge amount. So we're still a small charity in the UK, but we've kind of got to a point now where Jen and I were the first paid members of staff. That was in 2016 that we became members of staff. And then we're now in, what year are we in, Deanne? (laughs) 2020. I hope not to ask that. Um, And we're we're essentially um, now just about to get up to a, a workforce of six employees, which is I couldn't even believe that we've, you know, been able to do that. And it's one of those where obviously the more people we bring in, the more we're able to do and the more we're able to, you know, kind of make things easier and have more resources. Looking back, it's one of those where it's it's amazing how far we've come in a relatively short amount of time. I didn't believe at the time of me just, you know, doing a bit of volunteering on top of my job at that point that I'd end, it would end up being a, a job for me, that I would end up, you know, this is a full-time thing. And I think that has its challenges as well, the fact that, you know, my work life is is something that yeah it was kind of thrown at me I, I didn't know I was going to get alopecia but and it's something that I'm just really passionate about because my own experience for instance with you know doctors I didn't think was particularly good I didn't think doctors had the awareness about the condition that I would have liked them to have had and, and as I say for me I, I think a personal passion of mine is raising public awareness because I just think it makes it easier for those who as somebody who for instance my alopecia is quite visible i i because i'm not a wig wearer you know sometimes you do get kind of adverse reactions or you know there's that lack of understanding as to why you look different and it would mm-hmm. just be great to get to a point where there's just a, a much wider awareness of what alopecia is and the fact that lots and lots of us have it that it's just not a big deal anymore do you know what i mean like
2: yeah absolutely you have done a ton of awareness. Like you said, that was, that's a passion of yours. And, I was reading things from years past where you were raising awareness in the underground and and then now you have the big weekend.
0: first thing we um, we ever did, we had a, a flash mob in uh, in a city called Liverpool, uh, which is where the Beatles are from. And if anyone's listening to this and hasn't had a look at the, the original flash mob video, it was filmed in 2013. You can see it on YouTube if you put in alopecia UK flash mob. And... That was the first time that we'd got kind of a, a big group of people together in a public space. I think there was about 80 people that took part. And it was you kind of, uh, I don't want to ruin it for anyone, but obviously you can kind of guess what an alopecia flash mob's going to be. But it was kind of your stereotypical everyone's dancing in the street. And then it was kind of the, the number slows down and it's uh, Cyndi Lauper's True Colours song that comes on. And there's a big unveiling of a lot of people taking off their either their headwear or their wigs. And we were just so well received in that public space, you know, the people that were watching at that point. And for those that took part, I mean, it's what I really love about the work that I do with the charity is all our journeys with alopecia are very different. And for me, having that opportunity to do something in public, that was great because I'd not done that on a group scale. But obviously my alopecia is something that I've always been public with. It's never been something that I have have concealed because I'm public with it. I'm not a wig wearer. But for some of those people that took part in that flash mob, for some of them, it was the first time they'd ever, you know, had their alopecia uncovered in public. No, it's the first time they'd ever removed their wig in front of others. It's a really big deal. So it's a really, really powerful thing that people take part in. And we were just so encouraged by the reaction from that and from the feedback that we got from those that took part in that, that one event. That we wanted to do more of it. So that's kind of where the the idea of the big weekend, we, again, the, the charity for a while had wanted to do something that was a bit more of a, a conference type event. I'm, I'm, and I know in America, NAF do a big, big get together every year, which is kind of the conference and, and social mm-hmm. stuff thrown in as well, as well as a bit of an awareness so yeah we we thought we'd have a go in the UK so it's something that we've we've moved around we did the first one in in London and then we've been to Manchester Glasgow Birmingham and then in this uh, this year it's going to be in Bristol it's uh, yeah it's the kind of the biggest gathering in the UK of of those with alopecia it's a, a conference style event but so we get speakers we do workshops it's it's that kind of stuff but then there's so much opportunity for people to have social time, you know, chat to each other. And I think that's probably the the most powerful thing. Then what we tend to do is on the Sunday of the big weekend, we'll try and throw in that public awareness. So it's usually some sort of either a, a walk around the host city or some sort of activity of some kind. So yeah, it's always a really, really good event, which just receives amazing feedback from those that go to it.
2: What's your official role at Alopecia UK? What is your title, I guess I should say, not your role?
0: <laughs> well, my, my job title is communications and fundraising manager, but it's one of those where when you're such a small team and you, you're running a national charity, so much that we get involved in, there's so much overlap. I do a lot of the um, the charity social media and newsletters, and I am kind of the, the go-to person for uh, fundraising support, but there's also other stuff that I kind of throw into the mix as well. So things that at the moment don't really sit in a particular area. I mean, what always makes us laugh is because we're such a small charity, we'll get phone calls. You know, can we speak to your press department? Can we speak to your media team? Can we speak to your marketing department? Can we speak to your HR? And often it, we're picking up the phone and I'll just be like, let me just put the right hat on. And it's <laughs> you're, kind of, you're kind of speaking to people um, about, about all sorts of things. And similarly, Jen's role kind of spans lots of different areas but yeah communications and fundra- fundraising are the, the kind of the main things but I say my my focus and my big thing that I'm really keen for is around the, the awareness side of things which again social media has played such an important part in that it's been it, people have found us through you know our Facebook and, and Twitter and, and more recently Instagram and it I think with alopecia and the, the the stories that we share it's quite a visual thing so I think it it lends itself very well to to social media.
2: Hmm. I totally agree with that. And what else is coming up for Alopecia UK in the near future?
0: I think we're still in a bit of a, a transition period in terms of, as we're saying, that the charity's really developed over the the past couple of years and i think we've we've got some exciting um things ahead in terms of bringing in the new job roles so one of those is going to be a regional coordinator so we're hoping to have some kind of like more regional events i myself earlier this year did a regional roadshow in the north of england so that's kind of like weekend but on a much smaller scale so it's kind of like all in a a, a day and it's that opportunity to kind of bring exhibitors in and one of the big things that I know a lot of people with alopecia struggle with is finding the right things for them so finding out about headwear and wigs and different products that can help so that's what we've done with the kind of the regional road road roadshow idea so I'm hoping that there'll be more of those in the future each year we do our annual trip to Alton Towers which is another big event that we have very different to the big weekend because this is just very much about awareness support and most of all fun so Mm -hmm. for anyone listening that doesn't know what Alton Towers is it's a big theme park in the UK and each April we have a day out at the theme park that was a, an event that was born out of having a chat with some young people back in 2013 at that flash mob and asking them, you know, what is it that we could do? You know, what kind of things, you know, would you like to see the charity do? And and one teenager at that point said, I've always shied away from going to a theme park because I've always been, you know, nervous about going on rides, wondering, you know, will my wig come off and, and, and being worried about that happening. The whole idea of something like Alton Towers is, you're bringing a huge group of people together. So you're getting that camaraderie, you're getting that support. And, and people sometimes, you know, will choose to go without wigs for the first time and go on the rides, But equally, you know, there's people that will stick with wearing their wigs or their headscarves, but knowing you know if anything was to happen, they're in a group of people that, you know, fully support what they're doing. So that's always a great day out. So that'll be again next year on our timetable. And then there's lots of other things that we're kind of involved with. So at the moment, I'm doing some work trying to improve wig provision in the UK. It's a bit of a postcode lottery, to say the least. So depending on where you live, can impact on what you're able to obtain in terms of support for wigs. I know it's different all over the world. I know challenges with that everywhere. But I say we we're having um, challenges in the UK. So that's something that we're looking to do. Then um, earlier last year, um, Alopecia UK introduced its first ever research committee. So the charity's always had aims around support, awareness and research. And up until recently, the research side of things was something that it was always an aspiration. It was always something the charity wanted to be able to be more involved in and, and help, you know, directly fund. But research is a very expensive thing to be involved with and it's only been in the, the last 12 months that we've been actively involved in directly funding research projects only small ones because I say the the size of our charity we are a small charity but it's exciting times again and, and again one of the new job roles that we're going to be having is going to be focused on research so it's great to see that that's suddenly you know kind of coming into its own and we're involved in that for the first time so that's brilliant
2: that all sounds like a great way to move for sure and I love all of the awareness things that you do. Alton Towers is great. What age groups do you usually have there? Well,
0: yeah, it's a real mix, actually. So I think we the seventh one we've done next year. It's a it's a really established event now, which is really lovely. And we find that we get individuals that will come lots of times before, but then we always get new people that have never been before. Yeah, it's a real mix. We've, we've got we get a lot of children with alopecia along uh, with their families. But then equally, you know, we, we've got adults with alopecia there as well. We get a really big volunteer crew for that one. And it's just lovely to see all the age groups represented. And I think it's so important for younger ones with alopecia, particularly, you know, younger children and teens, to be able to see happy and confident adults with alopecia to have that kind of role modelling and know, actually, I'm gonna be okay. This is this is fine. That's just so, so important for, for younger ones to see that.
2: Yeah, I love that, too. And it's not even about talking about how we're really happy, we're adults, we're this or that. It's just about seeing it. It's not just, even about talking it, about it, really.
0: Exactly there's that instant reassurance of just seeing others like you and sometimes you say you don't even you talk about the alopecia and and that's the great thing about Alton Towers I'm sure there's you know there are chats that take place with any sort of theme park you've got all the queues and that's where a lot of the kind of the friendships are formed and the, mm-hmm. the chat happens because you're waiting for the ride there is talk about alopecia kind of like while you're there really the focus on that day is everyone's just getting together and having fun I mm-hmm. think so it makes it a really really great event with a really brilliant atmosphere
2: yes i can totally see that now if people are looking for you where should they go um, on social media
0: yep so if you find us across social media on facebook twitter and instagram and very simply alopecia uk which is really easy to find and then if Mm -hmm. anyone wanted to have a look at our website that's alopecia.org.uk Um, and yeah there's lots of ways that you can kind of interact with us and always keen to hear from people we're always happy to hear from people it's been a really great way to not only reach people in the UK but you know we hear from people across the world as well which is lovely
2: and big weekend's coming up September 27th is that right
0: that's correct and it takes place in alopecia awareness month so Mm -hmm. it's always a busy month for me as communications manager (laughs) so there'll be lots going out on our social media as well that month but yeah big weekend at the end of september last weekend yeah we're really looking forward to it
2: fantastic all right one last question before you go what is your favorite dessert
0: my favorite dessert. Ooh, I really, really love a fresh fruit pavlova. I mm-hmm. love meringue and cream. So,
2: yeah, that'll be a winner for me. Sounds yummy. Thank you so much for taking the time today and good luck with the burnout for the big weekend. I anticipate it's going to be amazing as usual. So, thank yeah. you,
0: Diane. Hopefully, we can get you over here one day. It'd be lovely to meet you in person. Oh,
2: I would love that. Definitely. It's going to happen one day for sure. Excellent. Thank you for joining us today on Alopecia Life. It's exciting to hear what's going on in other parts of the world. And something I didn't mention during our interview is Amy has produced some amazing booklets available on Alopecia UK. She collaborated with Kate Harrison and Mandy Eaton-McLean is the illustrator and graphic design is done by Robert Newman of Toasted. So I wanna just give a shout out to them. They also have a video series based on those booklets, all available on Alopecia UK. Feel free to go on over and check those out. If you're looking to get in touch or check out their website, all of that will be available in the show notes.
1: Thank you for listening. Join our Alopecia Life Facebook group and find out more information at headonlifecoaching.com. The information on this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and is meant for general information purposes only. If you're enjoying these episodes and finding the tips helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to and download podcasts.